and welcome to the Health Data Ethics Podcast. I'm your host, Jenny Owens, and in this episode, we're going to continue our series on the AI, the blueprint for the AI Bill of Rights that was released by the White House and the Office of Standards uh, Technology. Um, in this episode, we are going to talk about human alternatives to artificial intelligence, and this one I thought was really interesting, a lot of rich fodder for discussion here. Um, so it seems very simple to say that you should know, building off of last episode, right? You should know when there is artificial intelligence in your life, in your environment, and you should, if you wish, be able to opt out and say, actually, I would like a human being to do this instead. So the very simple analogy is, you know, when I go to the airport, I can go through the TSA screening, I can put my hands up above my head, I can do the little millimeter wave thing, or I can request to have a human alternative, and that is to have a what lovely female TSA agent come out, pat me down, make sure that I'm not actually trying to smuggle anything um, on my person. Um, I always get uh, it whenever I travel, I tend to braid my hair. And so that tends to throw off the reader. So often they just come around and they like with my hair. Um, you know, it's, it's what happens when you braid thick red hair. Anyway, um, so Ideally, right, you should be able to be notified and explained to, hey, we're going to use some artificial intelligence here to select, you know, your your appointment frequency or, you know, to judge your risk for developing a chronic illness. And you should be able to say, actually, kind of, I don't, I don't really want to. Um, can you just leave me out of that? Um, this is interesting for a number of reasons. One, because once again, healthcare is called out specifically as being a sensitive domain that should have really extra scrutiny around uh, the artificial intelligence and the human alternatives, um, that these should be tailored to the purpose, that they should have meaningful oversight. So if the groups that are overseeing these, are they actually overseeing? Do they have the appropriate access? Are they taking action? Um, or are they just kind of you know looking at things and rubber stamping? Um, and they should incorporate human decision-making for high-risk decisions, which makes a lot of sense until you start thinking about, okay, well, let, let's let's throw some hypotheticals in here. And the, the hypothetical that was called out on in the White House um, documentation was really interesting. There was a patient who was uh, suffering from endometriosis. Um, she was denied access to pain management post-surgery um, because the narcotics database included prescriptions that had been written for her dogs as well as for her. Um, so to the system, right, the system, she looks like she sees a lot of doctors and she picks up a lot of pills for her two sick dogs and for herself. She looks like a doctor hopper, right? Um, but the really interesting thing um, is that uh, when the when when this came to light, right? When she was working with her with her physicians and saying like, "Hey guys, it, th this doesn't feel quite right. Like something something is wrong. I'm I'm experiencing a lot of pain." Uh, the direct quote was, "Doctors were afraid to override the system," and so human alternatives are great. We should absolutely have them, but they absolutely must be empowered to cross the system when it's appropriate to do so. So this patient example is really interesting because there, there, is, um, there are a few groups that manage narcotics databases, and a lot of states kind of buy into these. You know, you can purchase a license and have somebody manage the narcotics database for you. Um, the algorithm penalized not only pet owners for veterinary prescriptions, but also people like cancer patients, right? Cancer patients see a lot of specialists. They have a lot of appointments. They go from doctor to doctor, which again looks like doctor shopping. 
Um, and so we have an algorithm that is really intended to alleviate a pain point for society, right? Nobody will argue that the opioid epidemic is a good thing. Nobody is arguing that that is bringing, you know, like good stuff to America. Um, but the interesting thing is how do we balance that against the individual patient experience and the patients who are still experiencing pain, right? They, they deserve relief from pain. Um, and so, you know, the human alternatives, they, they have to be empowered to actually make these changes and to cross the system when it's appropriate. Um, they should also be accessible in a timely manner. So if I have a problem with my prescription, um, because I am me and I work in a healthcare system, you know, I, I know who to call in pharmacy, you know, I know where to escalate. There should be, you should not have to be an employee of a healthcare system or a reasonably healthcare interested person in order to effectively escalate and to get a human being to look at your problem that you are having. Um, we also need to make sure, and when I say we here, I try, I try to be careful about my pronouns, right? I, it's very easy to, to get off the rails and say they should do this or we should do that and not be specific about who is they and who is we. So in this case, when I say we, I mean our, our healthcare groups as a whole and healthcare IT in particular, we need to be very careful about our regular training and communication about our AI algorithms that we're using, right? People need to know, and when I say people, I mean our, our caregivers, right? The people who are who are interacting with these algorithms on a regular basis, they need to know how to properly interpret the outputs of the algorithm, and they need to know how to mitigate any effects that are kind of are, are knock-on effects from the algorithm. How do you mitigate the, the, uh, the automation bias, right? So I have a, a good example of this. Um, so I am a, a, a patient in addition to being a, an employee of a healthcare organization. And when I have labs done, often my labs will come back with flags for, for values that are out of reference ranges. And every single time this happens, despite being a reasonably savvy consumer of healthcare and somebody who is relatively well-versed in laboratory practices, I see the flags and I think, oh crap, I'm dying. And I message my doctor in my chart. And every single time the doctor comes back and is like, <clears throat> Jenny, the reference ranges are set for men of average height and weight. You are neither. You are a short female. Looking at the rest of your medical record, I feel quite confident in saying that, no, your kidneys are not failing. No, your liver is fine. Can you please like simmer, simmer a little bit and please stop interpreting the flags as gospel because the flags are just there to tell us that, hey, this is out of the reference range. Can you take a second look? I have taken a second look with my human eyes and my human medical judgment, and I have decided that you're probably fine. So I, I think this is good, right? This is an example of the system working as intended. An algorithm has told my doctor, hey, these reference ranges need a second look, uh, or these lab test results need a second look. They're outside of the reference range. And my doctor has looked at it and looked at the um, the rest of my medical record and said, okay, you know, this is, this is probably fine. And then my doctor has reassured his anxious patient that yes, indeed, everything is okay. So the, the human is really the important part here because we can we can automate a lot of things and we should consider automating a lot of things but without that human alternative and the human relationship with your caregiver with your care provider a lot of this is going to just kind of fly right past people the most important part of any healthcare encounter is still your relationship between the provider and the patient